Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Garden Statesman. I'm Jeff. I'm Mike. And I'm Julian. And Mark couldn't be here today because he had laundry to do. This is a laundry emergency. You know how it is. Standard laundry emergency. Standard laundry emergency. Anyway. It's exciting to be 40, guys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, what a time debatable, to be debatable an emergency, but okay. Yeah. Three 40-year-olds got their laundry done. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Well, we started, we were already talking about this off air, so we might as well just get into it. Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. Maybe people are tired of hearing about this by now, but there's just so much good stuff. So much. It is a little bonkers. Um Tired about hearing it? It's not even started yet. It's going to get so much more bonkers. Get ready to hear a lot more of this. Do you I mean, think just just like not before we're going to talk about the FTX, but like is it is FTX more bonkers than Twitter right now? Oh my oh, god, I think so. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I think. Well, I mean, we where do we want to start this? I mean, yeah. FTX could be Madoff and Enron all rolled into one. Maybe MF Global. Maybe Lehman. So I think that's I, more bonkers 30, than Lehman. 32 billion. I don't know what the market caps of those other companies are. Yeah, I'm just I, saying from all the dynamics at play. I, I, again, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if we're talking about like what what has legs as a story in an order of magnitude mm-hmm. and just like a, a marker in time for a moment and a, a point in history and cycle, I, I think the FTX thing is a much more watershed moment than Twitter, which you know is very interesting, but it could be just a... You know, a big yeah. leverage buyout that has complications and challenges and may go one way or the other. I feel the Twitter uh, thing. I don't understand. You might bankrupt like one of the most important social media companies in the world. That that's yeah. Kind of a big deal. I but he he probably won't. And even if he does, it still could operate. And I do feel like like he generally makes hyperbolic statements. You know, like he mm. he says like he said that about SpaceX. He said that about Tesla. We almost went bankrupt like ten times. So it's like, what? Yeah. I don't, I well, mean, maybe that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's, yeah. Maybe that's, that's true, like, but how it. close <laughs> was it really? And I don't know. But this one, I don't know. It seems like for Twitter, it seems like the the biggest deal that everyone is freaking out about is this stupid blue checkmark thing, which I never paid attention to anyway. So I don't, I don't quite understand why anyone cares so much. Well, well, let, well let's, let's back up. Let's reset the table because the, I think on our agenda today, correct me if I'm wrong, we have... <laughs> talking about the continuing saga at Twitter and Elon's leverage bio that. And we have the whole unraveling and perhaps mega scandal at FTX. But, you know, taking Twitter first, I mean, what makes it interesting, interesting is it's Elon and he's, a you know, richest man in the world at the moment. And he's, uh, you know, done the le- largest leverage buyout uh, in the history of, a, of an individual um, perhaps at top a cycle and it's a, well, it's not necessarily a profitable, uh, company or even a really successful company by some measures. It's a, it's a utilized company and holds an important place in the, in the popular zeitgeist. And he's made some big changes, uh, and he's, you know, perhaps done it in a very public manner. And it's, it's kind of, un- it's somewhat unprecedented for someone to be making this many changes in public as a private individual and operator while having all sorts of other businesses that he needs his attention um, and being, you know, perhaps a scattered CEO and leader. 
and that you know that deserves some yeah. attention and, and credit yeah. and like that that yeah. should be discussed right so yeah so i mean just on the you know elon is uh, a crazy nutcase he will call him a celebrity he also happens to be a business person who's the richest man on earth um but a celebrity buys an important media company <clears throat> by the way He's in the tech world, but is uh, a libertarian. So there's an iconoclast issue there. And he bought a platform which has had massive issues around people believing it being biased or not biased. So there's a political twist to it as well. And there's even before, if Elon Musk never got involved in it, Twitter, whilst a successful platform inside of certain professional circles and instantaneous news as a company has been a clusterfuck basically since its inception. Yeah. Right. And so you have a crazy person taking over a clusterfuck that is a pivotal news source that's associated with this crazy cultural right-wing, left-wing thing. I get it. That's all I'm saying. I get why people talk about it. The blue check mark particularly is amazing to me because... He had this plan. He wanted to charge eight bucks for a blue check mark. I understand the idea of Twitter is a valued platform for some segments, and so maybe those people should pay and, and a freemium thing. But the blue check mark was invented for a reason. It was because people were create fake accounts all the time with people's names, which, by the way, is why the real Donald Trump, his name is the real Donald Trump, because that was how people validated themselves on Twitter. Before. They would make their handle just say, I'm the real one, right. versus these 40 so, fake so, ones. So can you, Mike, and can so you, then he fucking... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can you elaborate on what is the controversy around the blue check mark? So what what is the merits for charging for it? And what was the way it used to be, and why are people well, so yeah, up and so roar about it? A blue check mark is a verified check mark on Twitter. So that means that you are somebody that Twitter has verified the owner and operator of the account is the person that they claim to be. Why is that important? One, if you're somebody who ha- is a celebrity who's trying to maintain a reputation and somebody's out there making mock accounts of you, it can be confusing to the public. Like, imagine that you were a famous basketball player who. Uh, somebody made a fake account for you and started writing anti-Semitic things all over the internet. You wouldn't have to do that because Kyrie Irving really did that from his verified account because he's a fucking idiot. But like that's the type or of a thing rapper. that a good that, that could hurt the the uh, brand and reputation of a good person. Same thing with news sources or politicians, where it's like, did this person really say that? Right. Um, so Twitter had this problem. They figure they're like, oh, you know, we could make it so that people have to use the real name and that this is like a platform where people respect each other. No, 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 we won't do that. We'll just put a blue check mark for the people who are we actually consider important. And so I believe the estimate that I heard on another podcast was that there in the before Elon times were four hundred thousand people that had verified blue check marks and it was like this sort of elite thing it's like oh yeah i'm verified i'm important enough that twitter needs to verify who i am out of what like so 300 it, 300 million users or what, what is it yeah like? something like that right okay, yeah. it's a small so, so it's very, a very small percentage yeah so elon comes in and is like we'll charge eight bucks and we'll give you a blue check mark so what did people do they immediately started paying eight dollars for blue check marks and then changing their handle to Elon Musk <laughs> and start yeah. and just started writing Eli ridiculous Lilly. things. And, and Eli Lilly, yeah. yeah, like just terrible like it was it was a train wreck from minute one. Well and it was like did you not understand what the purpose of this thing is so for the company that you own? I think what he was trying to do 
And I don't think it was handled very well. Although I do think the blue checkmark thing was stupid from the beginning. Mm. Um, but what he was trying to do is make the blue checkmark not for... Like, the blue checkmark became this thing for, I felt like, the liberal side of the Twitter platform. Where they would give out these blue check marks to people they liked. And there were quite a few people I followed that couldn't get one. Mm-hmm. Even Which, if they were well-known people like, in their field. I, I don't even, yeah. does Joe Rogan have one? I don't even think Joe Rogan is like Twitter verified. Like it's, no. stu- right. it's stupid politics stuff like that. Where it's it was, like. It was biased. There was, it was bias. Vi- it was, yeah. it was, oh, there's definitely bias. Yeah, yeah. it was biased. The, the two guys that I was listening to were New York Times writers, and they're both verified. And they're like, so he's like, well, I got verified a bunch of years ago. And the way I got verified was uh, my editor put my name in a spreadsheet and handed it to someone, and then I got verified. And then the other guy was like, yep, me too. Same yeah. way. So, and there's yeah. like a bunch wow. of random people that show up in my list sometimes. They're like, I don't know, like C-list actors, and and yeah. they're verified. And like these serious people that you hear about all the time or not so anyway it was kind of a dumb thing in my opinion although i i don't know the previous but, system was bad and then they destroyed it and well made it i useless. think what he was trying to do is say okay this is kind of stupid that they're just giving this to the people they like so why don't this this will be our proof that you are a person like mm. what he's trying to do is get rid of the bots mm. and make that so if you pay eight dollars you have to put a credit card down. You have to verify your name. Right. You have to do these things. So the blue real check identity. mark. Yeah, he, real identity. So he's trying to move the blue check mark from this important person to just person. And mm. now, you know, the whole thing was botched because it happened in a day. And now they have a blue check mark and a, a hollow, gray one for a while. Hollow, yeah. They still, they, they have a hollow blue check mark that says official next to it. Which yeah. is the old blue check mark. So the whole thing's a cluster, but I kind of understand what he was doing with it. And I think it's, it is, it was funniest to me to he- see people, generally the people that like had a blue check mark, mm. freaking the fuck out about it. <laughs> like, like they, yeah. they lose their special importance. Like, well, I mean, yeah. a- a- AOC, like, oh, you're charging for free speech. It's like, no, asshole, you can still use Twitter. You just don't right. get your stupid blue check mark that you value so fucking highly. It's you know so I don't know. I, I so, so I mean as a, funny, as a but. as a counterpoint and you know again I I don't it seems like the rollout was sloppy. It seems like there was backlash it was. to it. It sounds like they postponed it because it didn't work uh, as intended. Um, is there a case to be made just hypothetically that? the plan all along was to kind of remove this two class system and get some subscription revenue. And by, you know, claiming, oh, that hey, was- hey, Stephen King, let's charge you $30 for it. He's like, that's outrageous. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, how about $8? Well, I really only want to charge $4 for it, but thanks a lot, buddy. You're yeah. well, cool with it. $8. Like, I mean, oh, I that was, that's a hundred percent. I negotiate leases like that all the time, so like yeah. I appreciate that. Like that's like that's a pretty smart move right there. No, I mean Maybe. that was yeah. that is. I think Elon's like ri- written that in emails to the company that that's the goal. It was like we got to re- raise revenue here. We shouldn't all be advertising. We need we need revenue. So yeah. that was I mean definitely part of it. It's a pretty 
poorly they, run company where they have they already had ninety eight percent ninety eight percent yeah yeah they like almost all their revenue is advertising it's not a particularly successful advertising platform versus what no. Facebook was five years ago now it's Apple kind of broke them a little bit um, but they have like a super valuable data feed and for some reason they can't generate a lot of money off of that yeah well the whole thing I mean I do feel like. Like if you follow like the Twitter engineers, the complaining people, it's mm-hmm. it's literally like, yeah, I can't believe I got fired for calling my boss on the company Slack a, an asshole Nazi. And you're like, <laughs> you can't you can't believe that. I mean, that, that's surprising. To yeah, you? that's yeah. that's shocking. Have you worked so, in uh, a company before? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here, so here's what I find interesting, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this, Flint, uh, Mike, yeah. because uh, you um, you have the most experience and knowledge of digital advertising, both as a procurer and uh, operator of this. You know, so what Twitter plus my fans only page, obviously mm-hmm. only fans, only fans, yeah, right, yeah, yeah only just fans for your, yeah, 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 especially now that you're, we yeah. should start a competitor, fans only, <laughs> fans only, yeah. obviously, yeah. Yeah. like just like a Twitter competitor. <laughs> So what I, right, what, I so, yeah. what I'm curious about from a business perspective, so yeah, this guy Elon who looks like he overpaid massively for a a, a valuable a valuable cultural commodity, but a perhaps a bad advertising business that was kind sure. of also an uh, always an also ran in that category. It was highly dependent on advertising revenue, and you added all this debt to it as a leverage buyout. And then you offend all your advertisers and your your revenue creators, but you got yeah, all this debt it's service well so far. Yeah, you got all this <laughs> yeah. debt. You got all this debt service to to handle, and you're trying to move it into more sticky subscription revenue. So, and then at the same time, you're also like doing this massive experiment on like running a company very lean by firing a lot of people, and you know, really quickly, maybe not yeah. fully understanding if like these people are. Now you're firing some people and then rehiring them, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of backlash. There's a lot of turmoil, right? So there's like definitely criticisms involved for does it are is the way you're managing this transition, you know, the right way or the you know a thoughtful way of doing a turn turnaround or repositioning is from an advertising perspective and a digital media property perspective mm-hmm. for you as someone who used to buy ads and advertise. How do you translate you know the advertising value from a from a from a paid advertiser perspective yeah. as a brand versus a subscription stuff like can you go can you elaborate on that nexus a little bit more like is that possible to make that transition or are those things always at odds or is that is that even an achievable thing? Oh, a subscription business versus an advertising business? Are they at odds? I don't think that they're at odds. Or, I mean, or, like, or even like, I mean, you, you've you worked for major brands before and you've bought yeah. digital ads. Like, I understand right. why you would not as a, when you were a product, when you were a brand manager, you wouldn't want your brand that you were representing to buy advertising next to something that was controversial or would hurt your brand. So like yeah. if you're, so all of a sudden you're seeing all this turmoil you're probably saying if you were in your past roles at Heinz or at Eventbrite, you wouldn't, I would assume you would say, you know what, I'm going to put more money on a different platform versus this right now, because I just don't see the yeah. ROI on that or like, but like, I get, mean, you, I think, well, I think yeah, it's frankly overblown. Like, I yeah. don't think like, I don't think that if, you know, you're 
your freaking advertising an Oreo cookie on Twitter, people are going to be like, oof, these guys support libertarian layoffs and, you know, what, like, unless, like, a very specific type of brand that has purposely built brands associations with, like, liberal ideals, that might be one thing. But, like, these mainstream brands who are, like, pulling off, it's like, or I think maybe a lot of them are communicating that they're pausing where they're trying to see whether or not uh, Elon does something particularly crazy that that would be a large uproar and people would say, hey, you can't support this company and this heathen. Um, I just think it's, a, like, if I was running, if I was a brand I, manager, I'm seeing a lot of NFL, somebody else, yeah. A lot of Bud Light. Yeah. Yeah, Hyundai. somebody else might tell me that I can't do it, but like it, I really would not care. It just doesn't make sense to me. If there's ROI there, there's ROI there. I don't, right. I haven't seen that there or any news that there's millions of people stopping to use the platform. Like I haven't seen any of that. I, I it doesn't bother me from an advertising perspective. From all the other things you said of, is this a poor transition? I don't think anyone would say it's a good transition. Um, but again, like. He said that they're losing he keeps saying that Twitter's losing four million dollars a day, so like one point two billion dollars a year. Um which I don't think you're gonna maybe you just try to get it in fits and starts if you throw an eight dollar subscription fee on it, like maybe you can get uh eighty million a year. Like you lay off okay, half you like people. your ten percent yeah, laying off you half your people, that'll get you there particularly quick since most people and it's no like free lunches. Of their expenses are. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I mean the bet the best financial analysis I've seen, which is interesting. So on, I think correct me if I'm wrong. Forty four billion dollar. I don't have this in front of me. I'm just doing it off the top of my head. Yeah. But forty four billion dollar buyout. I believe it's fifteen billion in high interest debt. It's Elon between his shares and equity contributed along with equity partners making up the rest of that. And the the debt service is approximately. A uh, billion dollars a year, and, twi- and Twitter, uh, I believe, at its peak, was doing five billion dollars in revenue. Um, Is that all? Five billion dollars fi- in revenue. Five billion dollars in revenue on an enterprise value purchase price of forty-four, forty-five billion dollars. And I cr- again, correct me if I'm. So if he's saying that they're now losing. A billion dollars? Is he saying this is what I don't understand? Is no, he's he, just saying expenses are a billion dollars. Okay, is he saying burn rates a yeah. billion dollars, or is he saying now that it's cratered from five billion dollars to negative one billion dollars? No, no, that's no, a big. No. That's saying, a big difference. Yeah. That's a big difference. He's saying that expenses uh, were six billion and their revenue was five billion, right? And so, yeah, uh, which maybe again, you fire half your employees, you cut back on your infrastructure costs. Like I can see how you make the math work. So I guess my my last question then is. You know, have you ever seen in your experience as a digital advertising mm-hmm. uh, performance marketing expert, brand manager, have you ever seen a prop, a media and advertising venue or property uh, transition from an advertising model to a subscription model? Is there a case study in that? Oh, I would. Well, I mean, YouTube, Times. like everyone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone does that. No, but be, yeah. so, but that's but that's a like combination. Not, that was a that was a yeah, combination he, from the start, right? But it's going to be a combination. Would, so Twitter was already yeah. a combination. It they was had, okay. They yeah. had a five dollar product and for subscription they have, for subscriptions. Okay, and you yeah. get some special things, and then they have they have advertising, obviously. But I think most of it was from advertising. People don't even right. know they had a product. Um, 
So they're transitioning the mix. And if you He's, can transition yeah. the mix, potentially it can work, right? I don't see yeah. why it couldn't work. I mean, honestly, the amount of money that he has at his disposal, like he'll make this work to some extent. You know, will it be a profitable enterprise for him? Like maybe not, but you know, we'll, well see. I think I mean I oh. I mean me and you might have different opinions on that, but I, I think his he's got more of a shaky financial situation than what public perception would lead that to believe. I think he's doing better than me. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's fair. the richest I mean, man I haven't in the checked, world. but I think he's doing better than me. <laughs> it's high, highly leveraged and concentrated. We've seen yeah. how that that could be a good segue to our, our friend uh, yeah. SBX. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting Well, he, we'll see. He's got motiva- mean, he's got motivation to make it work for sure, so Well, yeah. Fascinating and, to watch. and yeah. you know, betting against Elon has historically not been a great idea. No. But um um Betting so, against SBF. SBF. What's his what's his actual name? Sam Friedman. Sam Bankman Freed. Bankman Freed. Bankman yeah. Fraud. Yeah. Maybe. Fraud, yeah. Yeah. So I did you guys read so the I think the best article, and we've we've uh touted this guy on the podcast before, but uh Matt Levine at Bloomberg had a Amazing. wonderful breakdown on this. Which was really the I think the most interesting one I've seen in terms of like what what happened and how so they have I think this is this is the crypto issue is they had two crypto coins that they created FTT and what Sir Serum, serum. Salon? Well, they're serum. they're in Solano, like in some big Solana. or something. Wait, I mean, J- J- yeah. Jeff, before before can you just give a for the our our big audience? Uh, can you give kind of a high level overview on who Sam Bankman Fried is, who FT, what FTX is? Before? Sure, because mm-hmm. I think the Matt Levine article is fantastic. But you know, before we get into the weeds, there, give sure. the you know eight hundred foot view. Yeah, so FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, which is just like um, coin- second largest in the world, or was I think so? Uh, Binance is Binance, FTX, and Coinbase are basically the the big ones. Um, FTX, so an exchange meaning like it was literally just a place to trade cryptocurrencies. You could go there, you could buy Bitcoin, you could buy Ethereum, you could sell it for other cryptocurrencies, and so in and of itself, it was it was a good idea i mean this is this is what the new york stock exchange is this is what you know all of these bats and all there's 30 different exchanges for the u.s uh uh, equity market so that's all it was so sam bankman fried was i think he's like 30 he's maybe less than 30 he's around that age both of his parents are law professors at stanford correct he went to mit so he's not a dummy um but he just got so he was then that even in an Ivy League school. He <laughs> he then that went to work. Terrible neither, sports. Neither of those are. I mean, it's pathetic. Mm. Um, uh, he went to work for Jane Street Capital, which is a prop trading firm, a pretty well respected one. Quant prop. What's a prop, what's a prop trading? Firm? Prop trading is generally like you're trading your own money, uh, mm. and it generally is like short term, like quantitative. So when they say like Goldman Sachs's prop desk hasn't ever lost money or like lost money like one day in the last yeah. quarter, that's prop trading is usually something like it's very short term. You're in and out of the market 
that day. You're front running people, basically. I read Flashboys. Well, and there is there is like a legitimate like market making is part of that, and market making is a legitimate thing that you kind of do need in these markets, which is part of what happened here at FTX. So anyway, mm-hmm. FTX was the exchange. It's an international exchange based in the Bahamas, but then they have like a million different offshoots for in different countries. Um, then they had this Alameda research, which was, I think, the, it started before FTX, and that was effectively a prop shop, a prop trading firm for cryptocurrencies. So they were the market maker for FTX, which really all that really matters there is that they did a lot of volume on FTX. And the question is, how much of the total volume did they do? Perhaps a significant, like a more significant percentage than they maybe should have. Those two things should have been separated more than they were. So anyway. So, so, and then, but then the other thing is how much of this FTT coin did they have? So this own coin that they invented which I believe they invented they because well, well, they on. used I, it to do the transactions. Like you had to trade into their own coin to do the transactions. Well, hold on, hold on. before. I mean, I think uh, for again for our audience, the, let's step back before we get into the weeds on that. So, what happened this past week versus I guess two weeks now, right? Versus yeah, where like where that. he was before. So you had. A very, a very highly touted, um, lionized, self-made billionaire yeah, yeah. who was very young. He backed uh, by back, the best of the best venture capitalists. Best world. by right. the backed by the best of the best venture capital firms. Signed um, a hundred and thirty million dollar deal with the wh- who was it? The Miami Heat. Yeah, and he was he was. Uh, oh yeah, do they uh, they own the stadium name? Yeah, stadium right. So you had this you had this you had this kid at thirty thirty one come from no doubt good pedigree, uh, come very up very quickly as a what thirty billionaire, uh, deca yeah, billionaire. Worth, I think yeah, twenty six at the peak. Right. Yeah, Set, touted also as touted as kind of the good guy of the crypto world. He was, was a, he was a huge philanthropist, right? And that's why he, he was trying. He was splashing a lot of money around in philanthropic circles. I think he was Wait, a big I mean, proponent. This guy, they let him walk the street as a full-on rapist. <laughs> <laughs> Am I pronouncing that wrong? Philanthropist, full-on rapist, philanthropist, not therapist, philanthropist, philanthropist, Yeah. And and let's also note that he was an extremely large donor to uh, political parties. Um, yeah, that second be noted. second biggest donor to Biden's campaign. Yeah, and it, and I believe the second <laughs> the crazy. second largest donor in the m- previous the past week midterm elections. Okay, um, and you know he was he then he did all these. This he one, offered, I, I love, offered, I love this one. Uh, uh, oh yeah, well he, he well, offered say, ju- the, st- the stadium ones are great because I mean stadium one. I mean literally, I mean. Please, anytime, will you guys just let me know? Can we start a private WhatsApp channel? Anytime you see any company name a stadium, let's just short the fuck out of that thing. <laughs> I mean, it's Enron, it's pets.com. Yeah. It's like, you know, whatever. Please, like, that's yeah. just like, that one is just, it's like 100 for 100 on that yeah. one. Um, he, and he offered Elon $5 billion for the Twitter deal. He was going to, yeah, he wanted came, to get in. It came out of litigation and he offered Elon for $5 million for a Twitter deal. And to Elon's credit, credit credit's due. The question was, does he have that kind of coin? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. It was skeptical. Yeah. So there were people who were skeptical about this. 
And so this is the backstory of this dude. And then uh, literally in what, a week, 48 hours, he has- 32 billion to zero. 32 billion to zero because there was a run on the bank, Mm -hmm. which, you know, on this FTX exchange, Jeff, a brokerage house, basically everyone wanted their deposits out. And now please explain the difference between these- phantom coins or made of coins that were their primary assets yeah well so the issue the issue that eventually like kind of did him in was he had this alameda research trading company the if the it seems that what happened was they took customer money from ftx like you know if you have a brokerage account at like Mm e-trade they basically took that money gave it or lent it to alameda and said, okay, like to backstop whatever bad trades they made and, you know, shore up their books and pay their debts. Now, the reason they thought they could do that is because they had these coins on their books. Several coins in particular, and I got this all from the Matt Levine article. He does a great yeah. job. Uh, several coins in particular, which had, so in crypto world well i guess in any world but in in equity too there's like a a market float how much how many shares are available in the marketplace and then there's like a total dilution float which means the total number of shares in existence and so if you're like whatever i guess facebook right Mark Zuckerberg owns a certain amount. The company owns a certain amount. Any company owns a certain amount of their shares that aren't in the market. Mm -hmm. Usually, though, that's a minority or maybe like a slight majority. In the case of cryptocurrencies, it was like 99%. So 99% of all FTT coins were held at FTX. The value of one of these coins in the market. The total market that wasn't owned by them was like a $10 million market or something like that. It was, I don't know. Mm. It was in the millions. Well, except for that guy, the Binance guy owned a lot. So he owned a ton too. Right. But explain you know, how, you know, but explain, but explain sub, how that happened. There's a happened. subplot. You know why he happened. owned a lot? Yeah, explain how that happened. Because he bought the company back from... So San, SBF, San, San Bankman-Fried, bought the company back from the Binance guy yeah. in FTT, not okay, in dollars. So let, me, let, me, let me translate it's this back to, the, for, to, to normal people. <clears throat> Binance is the biggest crypto exchange in the world. Um, uh, FTX is number two. The Binance guy, who also goes by his initial CS, is that CZ. him? CZ. 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 So the guy who who is like the founder of uh, Binance, he invested relatively early yeah. in FTX. And like 30% or something like that he owned yeah. at some point. And so then he wanted to get out. And so to buy him out rather than to give him cash, they gave him this FTT coin. Right. So he had either $2 billion or $8 billion of it. $2 billion of the yeah. FTT. Yeah. And, and $2 billion. Okay. And let's be let's be clear. He's also, I mean, he's under investigation by the Justice Department. So this is yeah. part of whether or not this is like actually what drove the coin under. But one of the sort of allegations of how this run started was that these guys have a little bit of a rivalry and uh, SBF. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. SBF. SBF 
what All the a, in- a rumor was are. started that he was bad mouthing Binance to regulators. Correct, because he was so he was lobbying the, a lot on Capitol Hill. Right. Yeah, and so CZ, the guy who runs Binance, was like, "I'm going to dump all my FTT," and basically said that on Twitter. And so then people thought, "Oh man, this thing's going to tank," and so they started to pull out, and that facilitated the collapse of FTX and. Right. So, so customers who had their crypt- crypto traders and funds and individuals who had their accounts on uh, FTX, which was Bahamas based, uh, started pulling their money out of their accounts, which led to redemptions on the exchange. And the exchange could not redeem their customers because they had lent all the capital to Alameda Research which was a prop trading quantitative hedge fund owned by also Sam Bankman-Fried. Right. Um, and it turns out that they were – it's really, at the end of the day, a story of leverage. It might be a story of fraud. Well, the interest, I think the reason these coins are interesting is because they actually do – like their books had – they didn't – it wasn't like they were underfunded. They had the assets, but the assets – were in these coins. So they were saying like, oh, well, because the market for yeah. these coins is 100 million, like uh, right. the, the open market is $100 million worth of dollars. Yeah. But we own 97% of it. So we'll just, so we own $5 billion yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, right. right. It's, 90, it's 97, it's 10 million divided by like 0.03%. Yeah. It's like, this is the whole thing. Meanwhile, it's like, this is an incredibly illiquid market. You're if never... If you dump those coins in the market, right. you'd be with pennies. It's yeah. Right. So they just weren't worth that much, even though sort of, kind of, well, accounting-wise, they were. But that, but that's the that's the point, though, right? Is that the the illiquid... Well, there, I guess there are two issues, or multiple issues, but you potentially had... You had a run on the bank where people wanted their cash out and you didn't have good collateral to redeem that. You didn't cash. have liquid. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have liquid yeah. collateral. And then right. you had so you had a mismatch of assets and liability. You had a mismatch between li- illiquidity and liquid liquid assets. And then you also had a situation where uh perhaps the assets that you were saying were credible to mark up other to mark up debts were not good collateral. Right. And and possibly well, not worth anything. Really. Possibly not worth anything. And then you had a lot of leverage on top of that. And then you had interrelated party transactions. I yeah, mean, and then, and when you, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you, you know, let's wind back the tape on that. Cause I'm not sure if I can even rearticulate that. Cause that was, that was, that's fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I mean, how, how do you, like there's, there are a million fucking creditors for this bankruptcy. And you know that that's probably a lot of individual accounts. Sure. And and then mm. you know the que- then the question is, I mean, you're also then you get back to the core of the issue is he controlled two companies where I don't believe I, I'm sad we don't have our friend Mark doing laundry right now uh, on the podcast because he's an expert in brokerages. Um, I don't believe in the U.S. at least this is an offshore entity. You definitely can't you can't uh, lend customer accounts to back a related party transaction for yeah. uh, backing up <clears throat> yeah. prop bets. So well, this this leads us to the Vox uh, article. Right. Where then again, Sam Bankman fried call your lawyer and shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, yeah. like what, what the f- so, yeah. so to just the reason I bring so 
yesterday was he doing this? Yeah, I, I think it might have been today. It was last today. night. Today. Yeah, <clears throat> late there, night. There's a there's a guy who is a journalist for the media company Vox who just starts DMing SPF on over Twitter and just starts asking him questions. And then SPF just answers them. Well, he's been tweeting and, the whole time too. I mean, he just yeah. won't stop. It's kind of amazing. But yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, it, he's like uh, what farmer bro guy who was just like you know yeah. buying Wu Tang albums while he's right. live streaming, like yeah. Martin, yeah. Martin Shrelly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like just lay low, hide, yeah, I mean, don't talk. That's what you need to do. So this dude is just—he's just DMing with this uh, journalist. The journalist is just like asking him stuff, and he's saying things that are one uh, bonkers if they're true. And then two, like that, you wouldn't want to say it out loud in any context anyway. So like the the not out loud part, like he was just saying something about like the the journalist was asking him was like, so you were you don't really uh, like regulation, like you were just talking about like this this should we should have good regulation for a good PR. He goes, yeah, that was all PR. He's like, regulation sucks. It doesn't yeah. fix anything. This is this it's is like, literally yeah. it. Yeah, just PR. Fuck regulators. They make everything worse. They don't protect customers at all. Also, wow. not making things uh, better is talking to a journalist over Twitter <laughs> while he's taking screenshots and putting them in articles. Well, he had the to second, know too. Like yeah, you would. He, well, had he went to. to MIT again, Jeff. Not mm. Cornell. Yeah, good not point. Ivy League. <laughs> I mean, he's not, <laughs> not that smart. It's not Cornell. He's not a science. He's so not the, a scientist, Jeff. Yeah, they don't teach EQ there. That's true. That he said that was. He must have just been speaking metaphorically because this can't possibly be true. Or he's on or drugs. He's like, well, we didn't really take money out of customers' accounts. We didn't have a bank account for FTX, but Alameda did. So the customers just put the money in Alameda and we just forgot to put it so into their this, accounts. <laughs> this is what's so bonkers about this whole thing is I, uh, you know, I'm not completely discounting outright fraud and, and you know, whatever, uh, purposeful manipulation. But it all... It, it does seem at this point like it was really just just complete negligence. Negligence. Like yeah, they high didn't, degrees of negligence. I mean, they didn't have... He's like, I just realized how much leverage we had. Well, what the fuck do you mean you just realized? Like, that, you don't have a risk guy for a $32 billion uh, company? Right, right, right. Oh, hold on, hold on. Back, back up, back up. So right now, Jeff, your base case is that this guy was negligent and careless and not overtly malicious and fraudulent yeah that's your that really that's well, where yeah well, wow. well i mean like it doesn't have to be one or the other but julian yeah. also just think about like if you're 26 how much stuff do you know about if i'm 26 nothing i knew nothing about anything you knew me at 26 i was constantly <laughs> being like wow that that could have killed me oh shouldn't have done that i mean i'm look i'm except he's doing it with 32 billion like I don't I, really. I, I, I hear you on all of us at 26. And I respect yeah. that, myself included. I'm sorry that this is this is going to be. I'm. I. I was. Oh, I'm I sure he's I legally liable. I. Li yeah. I mean, I literally. I, I mean, I want to listen to the previous podcast, but I brought this up. I think before. I had no idea this would unravel this quickly, but I was like, maybe this is, you know, one of the centers of the the crypto fraud. And this is one of the issues. And it turns out this guy might be one of the issues. And I think it could be a combination of, you know, being young and young and inexperienced, hubris, uh, not mm -hmm. having proper risk management tools, 
but I'm sorry. There's just way too many inconsistencies. Your parents are some of the, the best con law and tax professors in the world. You are an MIT mm, trained. That might be yeah, you're, overstating it, but yeah, I mean, they're law professors. They're well known in legal circles. I, I live next door to Stanford. They're real deal. Like this, you know all, them. And I'm yeah. sure that I don't, they're good. I don't, I don't, sure I don't know. That, I don't know them. No, I do not. I'm sure that they understand <laughs> everything about crypto too. Yeah. Well, no, Which, I'm, so, the, I'm sorry. But you, this you, is another. This is another problem, though. It's like the reason that you can do all of this weird, shady shit with like low levels of oversight is because nobody fucking understands crypto yeah. because. It doesn't make any fucking sense, and nobody wants to say that. And so they're like, "No, but oh, you know, I just but, did this but thing. No, I but this I'm, thing. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not. Eh, I'm, okay. not gi- I'm not giving. Okay. Him, I'm not giving him a pass. Your your father. He's not getting a pass. No, I'm, I'm not giving him a pass this either. Is the, part of the problem. The, yeah. The like, dude, the dude's parents. His literally his dad is like the expert in like tax structuring. Yeah, but Julian, like, what are you saying? You're saying I'm, he I'm purposefully saying, I'm, went out and stole customers' money. Like that's. I guess that's my point. Is I don't. I think he did a lot of things wrong. Do I think he purposefully was trying to steal from people? Probably not. He probably just got himself into a bad situation and did I, the wrong I, thing. Hold on. I'm, I'm, so here's here's what I think happened, and I'll, I'll want this on the record. I think there are a few things that happened. This is a guy that had a lot of legal ec- expertise at his disposal. He specifically set up shops in Hong Kong and the Bahamas where there was very light jurisdiction oversight. But you do, you it's do crypto. that. You, you do it's that. Crypto. No, All you right. do that because it's crypto. I would not set up shop in the U.S. if I was doing a crypto because you never know what the fuck the SEC is going to do. Fair, fair, but there are plenty of people who did set up in the U.S. You know, not the biggest fan, but like one. Look at the, look at the Winklevi. Look at uh, Mark's friend Barry Silbert or whatever who did GTBC. There are examples of people who chose the harder road specifically. Oh, 100%. Specifically because yeah. they want to be compliant. Yep. Leave that aside. This guy chose questionable venues from a regulatory perspective. Second point, he uh, was had all sorts of related party transactions between a hedge fund and a brokerage firm. Third point, he was leveraged to the gills, like mm-hmm. bananas leverage, and he had mismatch between... illiquid investments and liquid investments Mm -hmm. and so that might have been the business case which was a bad business and that could have all been technically legal and i will give him credit for and benefit of the doubt that that might have been the intention when he set that up and you were taking liquid assets and leveraging them and putting them in venture capital funds and putting them in other illiquid things and then the market turns on you so leverage is awesome when assets are rising, yep. but when at, when le- when assets go down and your collateral decreases, leverage kills. Right? The Warren Buffett quote: "What makes people go bankrupt? Ladies, liquor, and leverage." And the first two I just said because they start with the letter L. So you, <laughs> you got so like you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably that was probably questionable ethically, but not illegal. Okay, yep. let's go with that. You're just yep. a young. You're a young guy. You're smart. You got experience. Yeah, you and got that's hu- where I am. You, you got hubris. Okay, yeah. here, you're a young here, guy. Here, 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 no, here, I mean here, that's, that's not where right. I am. Yeah. All right, but I right. mean that's where yeah. I am. Yeah. 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 I'm not young. Right. I don't have that much money. All right, but here, here's <laughs> yeah. here's where I think it crossed the line. At some point, and it sounds like by all the news research, Matt Levine included, around sometime in the spring, 
when bets started going sideways and crypto price cratered, he took a bunch of money from FTX to backstop customer money mm-hmm. that was custodian there. He took it from FTX and he used it to back bad bets at Alameda. Mm-hmm. That is probably fraud. That's probably wire fraud. Oh, I would agree with that. And that's probably pretty, pretty similar. Actually, the parallel is not too dissimilar to uh, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. And he, and I'm, and well, I'm hold, hold, hold on, hold meaning, on. meaningfully diff- yeah. different. But very, what, very what different. What did the MF? No, 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 no. But from from from, from so MF and what? So yeah, there's two. There's two. Very much I, like that. I think. I think there's an yeah. intersection between Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, uh, MF Global, and probably a little bit of Madoff too. And I will bet. I will. You know, I'm happy to make a bet right now. I bet he's going to get indicted with within the next week. But Julian, and yeah, he and he'll pro- and he'll probably go to jail. But what's and, and, your point? Yeah. You're saying that it was all malicious. How was I'm, this I'm, malicious? Is my that was I'm, you? You he, were he, astonished he could, at me not thinking it was malicious, but you made zero points about it being malicious. I think that dude. Well, you can say you started from a good place, or you started from an aggressive place that was technically legal, and then he crept into all sorts of bad, you know, illegal things, and then just you know went on maybe a you know a. A high, you know, exchange with a reporter on Twitter yeah, yeah, DMs, yeah. So, admitting so, it. But the, so, I guess, like, yeah. just when is to be malicious, he needed to have <clears throat> done illegal things and set purposely, out to like, do known he's, things. Illi- he, that, that it was, yeah, so he he stole. He's, I, I do so think he, that you he, have an argument. He crossed. That he, he crossed moves, the line. He crossed the line at some point. He was yeah, over. We, his he over definitely his crossed ski- the line. He was so, my, my Jeff. My point is, he's at some point he crossed. He was over his skis. For bad bets, and he said, "Holy shit! How I'm gonna? How am I gonna backstop these loans? I'm gonna take money from another thing I have access to that I d- should not be taking. I'm gonna move it and backstop it. That's where he crossed the line. That's illegal. That should be yeah, punished. Yeah, so that's the thing. Yeah, so re- it's how, crazy so how can you say that he's is, that he's not he's not well, in a bad that's, place? That is what I was saying. Is that he, like he didn't know what he was doing? I mean, he knew what he was doing was wrong, but he thought he could get away with. It. It's the same story." As like literally every one of these Ponzi scheme, hedge fund finance things, where just I just got to get ahead of it for it, this one, like, for this week, and then it, and then I'll give the money back. Yeah, okay, so we're we're on the same page then. That that was wrong, and that that was yeah. that was his downfall. Okay, oh, yeah, I don't think afraid. he's yeah. like I don't think he yeah, did everything right. Stealing yeah. is wrong, but I don't see him as like this evil. Like I feel like Madoff was doing it on purpose for a long time. I think he got into a bad situation, did some shit that wasn't okay, but it's questionable whether he even knew it was okay given all of the complications. So his words to this reporter, it wasn't quite lending them out. He asked, you know, uh, about whether you were lending out customer funds seems like such an obvious thing for them to worry about. Yeah, but it's complicated. I wasn't quite lending them out. It was messier and more organic than that. Each step was in isolation, rational and reasonable. And then when it finally added up last week, it wasn't. So not to say that each step was rational and reasonable, but it does seem like he thought he was doing something okay-ish and he wasn't, or he was going to get away with... I mean, that's why I think the... The FTT. This is what I call the the uh, the Liam Perrin's problem, Jeff. Is that right? Oh yeah. So uh, all things go back to uh, <laughs> Fortune 500 food companies and uh, <laughs> condiments. Yeah. So, so um, there's a little something we used to call a uh, cost value initiative at Heinz, a uh, uh, 
CVI. Uh, and basically, CVIs are how do you make the product crappier without somebody uh, stop buying? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so one of the things you do is you would reformulate. So you would take a product and it would have a certain formula, and then you would use cheaper or different ingredients or a different mix of the ingredients to reduce the price, and you'd put it in front of a bunch of people and like, hey, can you tell the difference? And, uh, you know, the first year you do it, I can't tell the difference between A and B. And the second year you do it, I can't tell the difference between B and C. I can't tell the difference between C and D. But you can tell the difference between D and A. Right. So you just made a little incremental thing that didn't seem that bad, a little incremental thing that's in it, and they all stacked up to you're so far from where you thought you were that you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see uh, yeah. maybe a, a privileged 26-year-old who had elite parents, and he probably grew up in a in a probably went to a public a private high school and <sighs> bastard never got the shit kicked out of him in New Jersey. And, uh, and you know, next thing you know, you go to MIT and you're worth thirty two billion dollars. And no experience at a condiment industry in the industry. So yeah. like, how this, would he if know this, this? guy knew about the Liam Parents right. problem. It wouldn't, wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> so, we uh, on our WhatsApp chat today had quite a, a back and forth with uh, Jurassic Park memes. <laughs> yes, and uh, I have to say that. <clears throat> Two of my favorite business uh, um, truths are uh, one is life finds a way, mm-hmm. which, which we <laughs> the better one is you were so focused on whether or not you could, you didn't Savvy. stop to think whether or not you should. Yep. And um, I've experienced that inside of large organizations so many times. Oh, yeah. I, that, the, yeah. Those yeah. are all true. And by the way, I, mean, I think all these things can be true. You know, SBF could be a young guy who had a good idea or saw an opportunity, had the best of intentions and got over his skis based on a, you know, a questionable degree of inexperience, uh, you know, imprudent risk-taking over leverage. Um, and then when faced with a moral conundrum or quandary, he chose very badly and crossed the line and did something illegal when boxed into a corner to try to avoid losses and mm-hmm. might go to jail for that, you know, yeah. which is probably yeah. very, you know, yeah. by the way, I, if someone who studied Elizabeth Holmes a little bit, like that is exactly what she did too. You know, she was probably from the get go, but in a, uh, like a massively pathological psychotic level of like, yeah. like handing, saying that these things were used in like military helicopters in war and handing somebody a flag to say that this came from like the helicopter where a person's life was saved from a Theranos device. And, like that's fucking. And, and, you, and you could crazy. Right. And you can, you can absolutely say there's a distinction between one decision in the course of a week, you know, when there's yeah. extreme margin pressure on you. But I bet what's going to come out is we found out that there were, a series of decisions and when a crypto, when a crypto right. market yeah, right. when a crypto market started imploding this year he made a series of decisions that said ah just this one time i'm going to use customer accounts to backstop this bad loan and i'll make it back up on prop trading on this next trade and oh, then he yeah. kept the so- whole the hole kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper and it you know eventually swallowed him and that well, that's the one yeah. good thing about this though is Hopefully, we won't have to read many more articles about Web 3.0 for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, so, so, so I think that's a really good point. So where does this all go? I, I'd love to hear your guys' take on what does this mean as a watershed moment or is it a watershed moment for the viability and legacy of crypto? 
what does it mean for some of the marquee firms other on the venture capital side that put money into this and lost it all? Uh, what does it mean for individuals who lost money in this, who are now affected? I don't think it means a lot for like the big, like the A16, I mean, maybe A16Z because they're so heavily into crypto versus the other big ones. But like for Sequoia, like they're, I think they might pause and they might think about what they invest in in that space a little bit. But I don't think that they're out of crypto. I know and there was a guy who, uh, from Lear Hippatu. Uh, I forget how they pronounce the the second name in that, but it's a seed fund um, VC that definitely invests in in crypto, and he says he still believes in it or whatever. I do question like these these crypto specific fund that has like a hundred or two hundred million dollars. It's like, do you still think that there's a bunch of things that are really worth investing in? Like, how are you going to raise a second fund? Yeah, that that one is is weird to me. Um, those have been weird to me for a while. Like the A sixteen Z ten, the new they just rate they just rate. I mean, earlier this year, ten billion dollar fund for crypto, which doesn't make sense to me. I, I sort of agree. Like, I don't think. I mean, this is certainly a historical moment for crypto, but it was always going to be. I mean, the tide went out, right? The free money was over, and this all this stuff was somewhat inevitable. I mean, not these yeah. specific things, but stuff like this. And crypto's gonna get written off as dead for a couple of years, which has happened twice before. And it'll be fine in another ten years or whatever. But you know, it, it's it's cycl- it's cyclic, right? Like you get these I, ups and I, downs. I I hear you on that to a certain extent, and I I guess I mean I think there are a couple like tangents on this, but you know I think this is. This is bigger than past crypto downturns. Okay, you know, I disagree. You, know, you okay? Well, I, I'd like to hear. Cri- crypto's been completely written off as dead multiple times, twice specifically, and it wasn't. You, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you've you've ever had the amount of value destruction that you've had, an amount of scandal that you, which is saying a lot for an industry that's been plagued with value destruction and scandal. And volatility from its short, you know, tenure of ten plus years, than you did on this. And I guess the question I have, um, which is is actually quite binary, ironically, is: Do you have so you have five million people who probably lost money and will never get it back in a in a uh, collapse of uh, of uh, FTX's firm? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do those people ever go back to crypto? Period. And if they do. How long does it take them? I and mean, people, there's there's studies that say that people who got blown up in the dot com bubble didn't start investing in tech stocks again for 15 years. I could easily see that. And then I think on the other side of it is, what do regulators do? I think or, our attention spans have gotten a lot worse since the 90s. Well, also, and, 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 and I don't that's and that's really fair. Trust in, that number. And, all right, but then 2015, then we already had another bubble in between there. So like someone was investing in tech. I'm just saying in mass, in aggregate of dollars. So I mean, I'm happy to share the source, but the yeah, uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a valid question. The second point is like, so regulators, what do they do now? So do regulators use this as an event to come down super hard, right? And say, oh, guess what? We're cleaning up all the bad actors, all the offshore shit, all the potential frauds that are out there. 
And we're going expe- to and we're, uh, and we're gonna- go back and refer to the first part of this podcast where we said that he was the second largest donor to the Biden administration <laughs> yeah. and the second largest donor to the midterm. But, that, but, but, but that's the New York but Times that's, did a puff piece on him too. Yeah, but that but that's really interesting though because you do you have a situation now where so you had the big case for crypto was oh there's going to be all this institutional adoption all these firms are going to invest in it all these people are going to start using it. Well, if you're an institutional firm right now, do you think you're going to fucking invest in crypto right now? I don't think so. Unless unless maybe, ironically, regulators come in and enforce and say, hey, here's all the rules. Yeah, well, right. That, and then maybe actually it ushers in this like new watershed of like, oh, now the like guardrails are really cool, really clear. And like now we know. Yeah. So that that's could my be thesis. kind of interesting. Where's, that's yeah. my where's that? Where's that $10 billion that that A16Z got to go invest in this coming from. I mean, it's coming from institutions. Right. Yeah, well, but, you know, if you're, but if you're AC16, I mean, and Chris Dixon in particular, I think you have reputational risk because people now look at you and say, that was a fucking money grab. That was a money grab. You were well, in it definitely it for, was. You were in the fee game. You were in the fee game and you were touting this shit and you weren't doing your due diligence and you deserve some criticism for that. And but I that, do think yeah. there. I think those that like that fund, the ten billion dollar fund, is still crazy to me. But I think so. The reason that like these all these VCs are excited about crypto isn't isn't because they can trade FTX. Like yes, that was a big investment for a lot of them because it was you know an operating business that was making money. Um, but it, it's more about the technology. And I don't think that goes away. Like there are actually companies doing interesting things that will be useful and valuable. And I think that's more of what they're investing in. Now, do I think this whole thing cools off? A hundred percent. Yeah. But I also... I was on the phone with a VC today who was like, "Mm, eh, this thing might be over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was a big... It's a big, ridiculous free ride for a while. Um, but I also think if the regulator stepped in, like this is the cycle of how these things happen, right? You get big blowups, the regulators step in, they set new guardrails, and then you get another... That's how the SEC was invented. Yeah, there you go. Nineteen, The, the yeah. Great Depression. And now we have no more blowups in the financial industry. I, so, I, yeah. And everything's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so. could see, I could see it going either way. I could see. By the way, I don't think this is the last shoe to drop. I think. I mean, look. There's. Oh, the I con- agree. The contagion. Yeah. The contagion of this is real. There's uh, a BlockFi, another lender, um, is you know potentially going for bankruptcy. I I would encourage everyone to dig into the Tether contra- controversy. Uh, follow anything on Binance. Um, because any, that, any of these other uh, firms uh, have uh, Super Bowl advertisements or stadiums that we we want to talk about. We can find, yeah. We track them down and short them now. I feel like Binance is the is the one that I'm really wondering about because I mean, but the get the dude has no office. He lives in non extradition treaty countries. He's a yeah. shady motherfucker. Cz. Uh, I mean, look, I I think all this stuff is you know he's under investigation by the DOJ for potentially eight billion dollars of Iranian money laundering. Everyone deserves nice. a day in court, but like you know. I, this is going to be. This is not the end of this, and I think you'll find out that this stuff is going to. Again, I'll, I'll still be shocked if SBF is not uh, in custody by the end of the month. Um, and oh, I, I would I think, be shocked if he is. Honestly, I think he really? will eventually probably by the end of the month. Uh, that's. 
I feel like two weeks. Yeah, that's I don't know. I I, I don't I do think he's going to be legally liable to some degree, but I don't think it's going to happen a that quickly. And B, I'm not even sure he did anything wrong because I don't know what the Bahamas, yeah, you know, laws are for this. Rules are. I, yeah. I think. I mean, he they included FTX US in the bankruptcy filing. They, you know, there were plenty yeah. of U.S. investors. You know, I think it's very easy for U.S. regulators to claim jurisdiction and nexus. Well, I and agree with you there, but whether, I think whether that will take time. Yeah, whether, whether, you know, it's a successful prosecution, I don't know whether I, – I don't profess to know – I'm not a lawyer. I don't know all the laws, but I, I think that's – it would, again, shock me that th- this guy is, you know, sitting there tweeting from the Bahamas about I still can't Copa. believe it. I mean, that's well, just bananas. And yeah. he's talking about raising $8 billion. Who's going to give him $8 billion yeah. just to pay back some other people? Like, what? Delusion. It's not an emperor, investment em- anymore. Emperor, emperor has no clothes. I mean, yeah. or he's on drugs. I mean, one of the, I, you know, what do you know? Like, it's, who yeah. knows? It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. This episode sponsored by Coinbase. <laughs> Coinbase. <laughs> Now the second largest. <laughs> no. Hey, you know, give Coinbase, give, give Coinbase credit though. They took the harder road. They weren't trading all these altcoin and shit coins. Yeah, they did some questionable things, but they always asked for regulators' uh, insight or approval, or they got flack for when it was shot down. And they're U.S. They have, based. They have always you know seemed like the just, more responsible ones. This just occurs to me. I'm pretty pissed off. That Elon didn't pay for Twitter and Deutsch. Yeah, right? Like, right? that would have been like a two-for-one deal. Anyone who's holding Deutsch, we'd be shooting through the roof. We would probably own part of Twitter right now. Mm-hmm. He could have saved crypto. Yeah. This guy does no shit. Yeah, what a he might be the richest man in the world, but I'm the smartest man in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, so the one, uh, we got a couple other things here, although we're kind of out of time. But I did want to talk about the space launch, speaking of Elon. Um, this one isn't an Elon related thing though, but did you guys know that we just sent a rocket to the moon last night? Love it. And it's click my unmanned, right? Unmanned. This was the first launch. So the next, this was like a test and the next one will be manned. But it's a, it's the cr- testing of the craft that's going to take people for the next moon mission, correct? Yes. The testing of the yeah. rocket and the craft that will. So this, this one is going to orbit the moon and it's going to release a bunch of it's the crazy part. So it's going to release a bunch of small satellites that do various things. Some are going to like, you know, help this mission, take pictures of the moon, whatever, uh, do research like that. But one has a solar sail and it's going to go visit an asteroid, which is just, Fucking I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about all this stuff. It's just nuts that we're like fucking around with asteroids in space now. Here's the thing that's a little weird to me. You know, all this stuff happens at the same time. Fucking $32 billion uh, bankruptcies, shooting crazy stuff to the moon, Thanksgiving, <laughs> like Ukraine, like possibly, no, possibly World War Three, possibly Movember, World War III. Movember. This amazing, yeah, Movember. It's just like, how much crap can you jam into a few fucking weeks? Right. It's a busy, it's, it's like, a busy month. November's always a busy Trump month. Trump yeah. running yeah. again. Right. Just yeah. like yeah, everyone's the trying election. to get in before the holidays. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah the election. Yeah, um, you, want, you want to close out the year strong. I mean, I, I hear you. Work I think hard. the big and my big question is, you know, is is it a coincidence that Wall Street bets 
kept saying to the moon, and now we're going to go to the moon. I mean, okay, did they buy stock in it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Can you buy? Yeah. Can you buy property moon on the moon? Stock? Uh, I, it's not the met. It's not can, the metaverse. It's I not the metaverse. Have, <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't get the mineral rights. Is the problem? <laughs> that's always a problem. The water you rights. The mineral rights. Short we go answer. Go to uh, recommendations. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Mark, my Mark? recommendation. Oh, Mark. Oh, Mark. Uh, uh. Mark's recommendation is do your fucking laundry, Mark. <laughs> laundry care or laun- laundry wa- uh, dryer ownership, as opposed to uh, having to depend on a landlord. Um, my recommendation is it's the World Cup. Ooh, Fuck yeah. Yeah. yeah! When does that start? Start Monday of this taping. So five days from when we're taping now. Okay. 21st so what what uh like what's the first round that i should be should i be watching certain countries well i mean i do you love america or not did you used to watch wpix all so the rocky movies in a row I, I did love america to the point that i don't watch soccer that's how much <laughs> okay. i love america so you want here's what you want to be doing the friday after thanksgiving uh england uh or the u.s plays england in a repeat of the Revolutionary War, oh. and uh, but this time with a soccer ball. Okay, so it worked Still out pretty well coats. for us this time. Nobody on Team USA has wooden teeth that I know of, <laughs> so that's a little bit concerning that we not you know, yet. lost that roster spot. But uh, yeah, Friday after Thanksgiving, nice. We're gonna uh, stick it to the new king. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perfect. I love it. Yeah. I I also share the uh, excitement around the World Cup, uh, Flynn. I'd love to hear your take on one. Um, what are your What are your some of your favorite matchups outside USA England in the what was it group Is it Group D that we're in? The group. Uh, oh, for, for, then the, the group that we're in. Yeah, the group play, and then two. Uh, what are some of your favorites on? Because they just released the odds today. It was interesting that it was interesting to see that Brazil, Argentina, and France. There was quite a spread between the favorites. Yeah, you know, I didn't look at that, but that is another thing that's worth talking about on this podcast sometime. How much freaking like betting is shoved in your face right now from ESPN? Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, it's really? Inc- yeah, it's incredible. I, I just, yeah, I was curious. I think some of the group matchups will be fascinating. I mean, I think the the U.S. England bracket's pretty interesting of who gets out because only two get out of the round of thirty two. Um, before it gets into the, the, which is the group play versus you go yeah. into uh, the single elimination. And then the other uh, one that has, Flynn, correct me if I'm wrong, you're on the computer right now. It's uh, yeah. Argentina and France, I think, is another round. That looks like the group of death. That oh, one. they're in they're in a group together? Yeah, I mean, there's, do you, some people are saying the U.S. group and England group is a group of death because you know, there's a chance that one of them doesn't make it out and go one, two. Mm. But like, so so yeah. there's this concept, Jeff, called the group of death, which every there's eight groups of four, and every year there's one that's like, oh crap, that one's gonna suck. This, okay, because it's like the, it's top, the hardest one. Yeah, the or? top. The, yeah, the top it's like two. there's three yeah. good. There's, mm. Yeah, there's yeah. three good teams in the group, and there's only two that are gonna come out. Gotcha. So like, the U.S. was in the group of death uh, the last time they were in there this year. I would call the group of death this year, um, probably. Portugal, Ghana, and Uruguay. Yeah, because Ghana and Uruguay are both pretty good. That's a good one. Um, That's a good one. Uh, 
the only by the way that's the this this tournament is the only sentence where you'll ever hear me say Ghana and Uruguay are pretty good. <laughs> um, not not a lot of things that you would say that about. Uh Belgium, Canada and Croatia. Canada's actually good this year. Uh so that one would be scary to be in. Um every other one I feel like it's very obvious who's going to come out of these. Uh, I'm pretty confident that France will beat Australia and Tunisia. Uh, you think Brazil will beat Serbia? Serbia, uh, Serbia is pretty Brazil good. Brazil beat Serbia. Are they? Serbia is not. <coughs> Serbia and Croatia are pretty fucking good. They're not. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not. That's not. Cameroon's in there too. They're, they're... But the answer is yes, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah, all the, Brazil, the Brazil's gnarly. Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any other recommendations? Uh, I've got one. Uh, I've been reading this book called Breathe by James Nestor. Oh, yeah, great um, one. Quite interesting. And I heard him on some podcasts, and I was like, okay, like, I get it. Like, don't don't be a mouth breather is basically the TLDR. But uh, actually reading the book and, like, listening to all of the crazy things that he went through and then also, like, all of the weird benefits from this slow breathing exercise stuff was fascinating. So, yeah, I would recommend that. Breathe. Hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I got yeah, I got uh, two recommendations. Um, more entertaining than anything else. Uh, uh, dark comedy slash thriller. Um, I think it was on Netflix, maybe. Um, Vengeance. Oh yeah, saw uh, it. Great. Yeah, B.J. Novak from The Office. I believe oh. he was a writer, and he starred in it. Um, Ashton Kutcher in a you know different kind of role. Um, a lot of other ensemble cast members who I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but you, little cameo by John Mayer at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it, it was just really, it was really well, written. it was really well written. It was very funny. <laughs> it was, uh, it was you know poignant at the same time. That poignant. was good, um, topical. Yeah, all of the words. And, and then, and then on the uh, on the FIFA or you know football World Cup uh, deal, Netflix is just doing a ton of like you know lead up uh, documentaries on soccer. But the uh, the FIFA scandal one, I think it's like FIFA uncovered. I mean, man, you think yeah. you know? Talk about corruption. You know, SBF, FTX, SBF got nothing on. They got nothing on Sepp Blatter and FIFA. I mean, this stuff you're just like, holy shit! Uh, this and is the most corrupt. There's a documentary on it. It's like a whole series, yeah. and it's I oh, didn't nice. fully appreciate the whole like depth of the corruption, but it is. Uh, it's very well done. Can you done. imagine coming yeah. out of a meeting where you're like, we're going to declare the next two uh, uh, hosts of the most valuable tournament in the universe are uh, Russia and Qatar. Right. Ver- versus, the, <laughs> like, versus the... Did you the, say that with yeah, a straight face? Versus the, U- versus the US and Fr- in England. They're like, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, this seems like sure great got soccer supporting country. Yeah, there's like, yeah, it's like yeah. no bribes paid here whatsoever. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, I think yeah. that Qatar is the size of New Jersey, and they put 29 stadiums in it. Wow. I mean, that's only half the stadiums needed for New Jersey's you know, fandom. Yeah, but yeah it's absolutely. like the Meadowlands, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can, Spr- right. how can Springsteen play all those venues you know, at the same time? <laughs> it's crazy. That's a great point. we got to raise the rafters. <laughs> Another sold-out show. Uh, all right, guys, podcast listeners and co-hosts, I got to go. Kay. Good talk. Enjoy the pottery. See you out there. Play like a champion See you out there. Do your laundry, everyone. All right. Be well.